This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. Welcome back for episode number 75. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the uh, Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. Today, I'm going to be joined by Hanny McMood. Again, it's been a minute. And uh, we're going to talk about the art of the backup gun. But first, a word from our sponsors. Title sponsor of the podcast is Excess Sights at ExcessSights.com. EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt at EDCBeltCo.com. And CCW Safe. Save 10% off your membership by entering code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. I think I blew through the uh, the ad space there so fast. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, get a hold of us in the uh, in the show notes. Oh, one final reminder: the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway is uh, link is live in the show notes. You got to sign up weekly. Last week they gave away a can of Palm Pepper Spray. Everybody needs pepper spray, right? Sign up weekly to be eligible for the drawing. And now let's bring in our guest. All right, we're live, Hanny. We didn't do any pre-show because we're. This is old hat, right? Uh, it is, and uh, good having you on the show, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to. You couldn't resist. Uh, so, uh, a little background. Uh, last year at, uh, and we we both just recently got back from TACCON 2022. Thank you, Tom Givens and Tiffany, and all the wonderful people down there at TACCON 2022. Um, so in 2021, we're standing outside the instructor shack and, uh, this young lad, I don't know his name. I wish I would have got it. Cause I'd have had him on the show just to explain his position. Uh, but <laughs> he walks up and he looks at me and he looks at Hanny and he looks at me and he looks at Hanny and he looks back and forth. And I'm starting to think that there might be a quail in the bushes. Cause he kind of looked like a bird dog. He was on point. Right. And Hanny looks at me and says, uh, I got to get some coffee and he walks off. And as he's walking off, this guy comes up and goes, you're Brian. And I said, yeah, I looked down at my name tag and I said, I am in fact, Brian, how are you? And he goes, you're the guy that's on Hanny's podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, just when you think you've made it or you're somebody, uh, leave it to somebody to slap you down. <laughs> It's a good time. I mean, we have a laugh about that like every three months now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it had been a year. Uh, I figured you were due. (laughs) Well, I got the distinct pleasure of uh, being an AI of sorts, a shooting AI uh, for Hanny's block at TACCON this year. That was all about backup guns, and it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and yours as well, since you carry like 14 of them every day. Uh, I'm never in double digits. Never in double that's digits. That's an exaggeration. Ah, well, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a great story, right? Uh, sure enough. <laughs> but uh, I got the 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 pleasure of, of shooting with some other guys there on the range and running a pocket gun. And yes, David did get his Glock 43 back, uh, that I was very fond of, but, but we discussed, you know, before 
the block, you and I were talking about how backup guns have kind of become a lost art. And one Mr. Jacob Paulson, the president of Concealed Carry Inc., one of his very early topics was talk backup guns for cops. And is it appropriate for the armed citizen to have a backup gun? Um, so here we are, 75 episodes later. We're going to get around to it, Jacob. So, um, so first off, the block was, what, two hours? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, to, to the people who weren't there, uh, the, um, the way that TACCON is set up is uh, there's basically two two-hour blocks in the morning, uh, then there's a lunch, and then there's uh, like two two-hour blocks afterward. Um, some instructors occasionally have four hour blocks, but yeah, so the majority of them are two hours, whether they're in a classroom or on the range. And, um, so, um, I pitched Tom the idea, uh, not quite a year ago. Um, and I said, uh, how, how, how about the lost art of the backup gun? And he said, perfect, go with that. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And, uh. I was, I was fascinated with the way that you laid out the implementation of the backup gun, because we did shoot our primary guns a fair amount. Uh, and I will give you the distinct title of, or I don't even know if it's a title, but you are the only person that I have ever thrown my service gun to the ground in front of. So... Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I helped you. Uh, I'm glad I helped you through that difficult, um, di- difficult uh, motion. It, it's just co- completely counterintuitive after lots of training for any of us to uh, surrender control, uh, let it go, let it drop, let it that it just doesn't feel right. But there's a time and a place for it. Uh, there is. And. One of the other things, and I won't spoil the whole course because I think uh, next year, hopefully you get to do that one again because I, you know, it wasn't a huge turnout for that block, but there was a ton of value in it. And it was stuff that I reconnected with after years of having been backup gun free uh, or not even backup gun free, but just not carrying them as much based on assignments and other things. So uh, and one of the things I'll, I'll give the spoiler was we tested from concealment, shooting our primary gun to slide lock and the reload. And immediately after the debrief of that, it was let the gun go to slide lock, holster it, drop it, safely do whatever with it, and then go for the backup gun. And being able to see in real time the time penalty, if you will, uh-huh. and the, um, gosh, how to say it. It, it, is it a time penalty? Is it not, you know, and, and the circumstances therein, you, when you lectured was like, well, is it better to go to my backup gun or is it better to just reload what I've got? And and actually seeing that in real time was was pretty cool. And and if you remember um, the um, the difference in terms of 
the time it took uh, was greatly varied. It was down, you know, on the low end, it was somewhere around three seconds. And that's kind of where you were. And, uh, you know, on the Friday uh, block when we did it, there was another real sharp student in the class. And, you know, he, he, he clearly trained with it and, and uh, he was riding the same ballpark as you. And then there were, there were people that it took eight seconds to safely draw their back up and get an effective hit on the target. And mine was 2.16 on both, by the way. Well, uh, it must have been your Sunday block because it, I, mu- it must have been because yeah, that, that's crashed. the last number's probably still <laughs> in my head. <laughs> yeah, because uh, not to but, toot my horn, but I I, I kind of crushed it. <laughs> you did crush it, but but here's the deal: was that the the way I set that drill up was that it would be useful for everybody. The the the, the idea that you you need a perspective on um, when it's smart to deploy it. Um, when do you have a choice? And if you have a choice, uh, when is it a good idea to do? Right. So um, the, the reason for that is, you know, back in the in, in the bad old days, mo- mostly, you know, before you and I started our careers, um, when the when the majority of of people carried revolvers, particularly in law enforcement, you know, the the very common kind of um, nickname, you know, was. Uh, the New York reload, um, unless of course you were from Chicago, in which case it was the Chicago reload. And if you're from Miami, it was a Miami reload, but, but or if you're from the border, it was Mexican reload. You know, I've never heard of that. I've heard of Mexican carry, but, ne- that, but never reload, but that was kind the, of the terminology here. Um, oh, was it? Yeah. Border patrol. Some of the old head border patrol guys I knew, that's kind of what they referred to it as. And and they said the same thing you did, but kind of in reverse, they go, well, yeah. we call it, you know, going the, the Mexican reload, the New York reload, the Chicago, the floor, you know, Miami, whatever you want to call it, but it all centered around revolvers. Right. And the idea was that, um, you're a longtime revolver shooter, um, not because of, uh, carrying them on duty, but to the, to those who know you, but don't really know you. Uh, you, you were you were a very successful PPC shooter, so you had you have a lot of time with revolvers, and you know um, a good revolver reload, in my opinion, is uh, you know probably three and a half four seconds. Um, you know, some people are faster, some people are slower, uh, but for most people, um, they could they could access with practice a, a second gun faster than they could reload a revolver. And that was always uh, kind of the articulated reason of carrying a backup. There were other reasons too, but that was the main one. Right. And, and go ahead. And when I started, it was the time period, you know, in the late nineties where ah, there were still some revolver carriers, but the, but, but the majority weren't. And the, it started to, um, promote this idea which isn't completely wrong but it's a little misguided which is you know i'm carrying 17 rounds in my pistol what what do i need a you know a reloaded a fast reload revolver right and and that 17 rounds that stick that holds them is way easier to reload than lining up six individual shells and shoving them in a cylinder Um, absolutely 
especially when you talk, you know, institutional mass training, like yeah. if you told me you were going to shoot at me with a six shot revolver and I had a 10 shot auto, I'd be a little nervous because I know, you know, how to run a, a revolver. Um, you know, guys like Chuck Haggard that can run a speed strip almost as fast as I can run a, uh, uh, you know, like a safari land comp too, you know, that, but you're talking about a very small percentage of, of revolver guys, right? Yeah. Uh, Michalik, you know, I'm not running them on a, on a moon clip. Right. Right. And, um, so the, the, um, the thing that early in the lectures you remember was that I stressed that there were you know, three big reasons there, there, there's other reasons too, but there's three big ones. Yeah. Uh, and, and one is it, it, uh, it allows you to do a, a reload without much manipulation. You just let go, go to the other gun, but perhaps more importantly, and, and it's the reason why it's the main reason why I, I've carried one, um, is because it gives you a redundant, system it, it, to launch bullets it's just a complete other firearm that it um it's not it, you know how well it works is not predicated on how the first one works right. so if the first one isn't working well uh it, it's either malfunctioning it's you have a stoppage of any kind and in the sto- a stoppage can be as simply as looked at as i ran out of ammo or it could be and and as you saw on uh, friday when you were with me uh, we had uh, one student who had like the mother of all malfunctions, and and we 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 had we basically had to strip the 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 uh, the pistol to get this really bad, really crunched up case out of there. Yeah. and that that's not a that's not a five to seven second proposition. No, it took us uh, not that I was timing it, but it took yeah. us about four minutes to. And fortunately, you know, I, <laughs> Mister over-prepared i happened to have a rod in my bag and but get the rod out assemble it having to take the slide cover plate off a glock that we don't know if that's a live cartridge we think it's not um to do that safely and you know took i don't know almost five minutes to get that back up and running that was a gunfight stopper catastrophic malfunction Um, right and, uh, you know, um, the example that I, that I gave of, of the numerous, you know, esoteric examples, but probably the best one, uh, that, you know, makes most sense to me is, is, um, I was describing, you know, what, what format are, you know, the classic dangerous game rifles for hunting dangerous game. They tend, they tend to be double barreled rifles, you know, they, they, they are basically two rifles in one stock. So regardless of what happens, if you get a click, a poof, uh, 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 you know, a squib, uh, you name it, um, the, the second barrel is completely independent. It has its own lockwork, its own barrel, and it, it's kind of a redundant, it's a redundant system. It, it's and, two guns that are welded together in the same platform, yeah. essentially. And, that, and that's the, the best way that I can describe it in that uh, – you know, in, in what da- you know, hunting dangerous game and, and you know, uh, human conflict have in common is uh, that th- they tend to be very short duration. 
and the consequences are high. So, you know, right. they, they have those in common. And um, for me, that's probably the number one reason is having spent, um, uh, you know, many years on the range and, the, you know, the last five and a half of them full time on a range. Uh, you know, I've seen every kind of malfunction and, and not all of them are quickly remedied. Um, um, and sometimes it's, it's not the, the, the firearms fault. Sometimes it's the ammunition's fault, but you know, Murphy really doesn't care. Um, the, the issue is that, uh, it, it's just not working right now. And that, and that's why I like something else that you can grab that just w- will work. Um, and then finally, you know, the third reason is that, um, uh, having a backup gun, allows you potentially, depending on where you wear it and how you carry it, um, potentially allows you to draw better from a disadvantaged position. So, uh, you know, I'm generally, uh, you know, my, my, my main pistol is, is on my right side. Uh, so almost always my, my backup is on my left side. The idea being whether, I either if the if the hand isn't working or whether maybe I've just pressed up against a wall or even if I'm down on the ground or whatever, that the left has a better um, uh, angle, uh, has better access uh, then then that will give you a, a deadly force option. And there are others, but at least in the firearms world, uh, a backup gun is it. And so those are my main three reasons. And so. Uh, the whole drop it and go to another um, gun at, at, you know, in terms of uh, I need a reload uh, to me is still there, but it's, it's, it's much lower on the list than, you know, the way it used to be taught. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I think it's kind of a lost art because, you know, as we went to autos, faster reloads, more rounds and so on. And all the instructors that were raised with, Hey, as soon as you're out of FTO, you, you need to be carrying a, a backup gun. Um, th- those instructors are all gone now. Yeah. You know, I, we had them as instructors, but they're gone. So I, I had kind of a mixed bag, uh, my first FTO and he just, he retired a couple weeks ago. So Keith, you know, fair winds, following seas, all that good stuff. Right. Uh, but I remember the first day, you know, I'm strapping on a J frame on my ankle and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting my, you know putting a backup gun on and by the way this is where i carry it and he goes uh i don't know if you need to worry about that yet and i and i told him and at the time we were carrying uh this 40 caliber polymer striker fired pistol that kind of had a reputation as a jamomatic and uh i said uh well i'm all qualified with it and everything it's it's all kosher man like it's all good and he's like yeah but i just i don't know if i'm comfortable with it and I'm like, okay, okay, then I'll put it in my pocket, but I ain't rolling out of here with, <laughs> and yeah. I ain't rolling out of the gate without two. And, uh, it, you know, it, he was from that era yeah. of everything was a high cap nine. It never malfunctioned. Everything was going to be good. Yeah. And I had been around cops my whole life and they were like revolver era cops and all of them carried backup guns religiously. Um, and I even kind of during your block, I, you know, you gave me a little piece there to, you know, spread some knowledge. And I talked about, uh, 
my buddy Mark that got got his uh, brand new 686 kind of ripped out of the holster and went for his ankle gun, which was I think either a chopped a bobbed model 10 or or a J frame, and he had 38s in his loop loader. So the bad yeah. guy has his 357 Magnum with six rounds, and he's got like 17 rounds of 38 special to get in the gunfight with. Um, so those guys, yeah. those guys from that era of revolvers, you know, I don't think they looked at reloads the same way that the auto generation does. It yeah. was just much more efficient to go to a second gun. Um, I, I adopted that mentality sheerly based on, uh, you know, nobody in my family that was a police officer didn't carry a backup gun somewhere. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, in the DNA, right. But, uh, and I had a, I had a very a good partner, my, my, my brother, Aaron, that, uh, we trained together all the time and his dad was a, you know, he was a supervisor on the department that from the seventies and, uh, actually I worked for his dad for a little while, but he was on in that era that everybody carried a backup gun and Aaron and I would go to the range and train with ankle rigs and train with pocket rigs. And Hey, you know, it just wasn't a foreign concept to us when a lot of our peers were, why would you carry two? Aren't you worried about like losing one or it's like, that's, that's not the point. This is the lat. This is the worst case scenario gun. Um, It, it, It is. And are are you afraid of losing it is, is, um, you know, is a valid, is, is a valid question, uh, and a valid concern. Um, you, you don't want to carry it someplace where you're likely to drop it, lose it, it flip out, whatever, because if at that point, um, you know, we, we all agree that any call, any call that you go to, it, you know, has a gun in it because you're bringing one, uh-huh. you know, that, that, that that is a that is a smart way to look at things, and it is true. However, um, if we haven't gotten to that point yet of deadly force, the last thing I want to do is spill deadly force right into the middle of it, and now we're fighting over deadly force that I you that know you negligently left. kind of dropped in the middle of our altercation. So right, um, you know it was. <laughs> I have had one encounter that was kind of similar to that where a backup gun hit the ground and it actually inspired the suspect that was not actively fighting. He was more of just trying to get away to throw up his hands and go, that ain't mine. I give up. That ain't mine. I ain't t- you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> because I mean, he was kind of an old school criminal, but at the same time he was like, "Uh Oh, a gun yeah. just hit the ground and I ain't getting anywhere near it. Uh, but that was an anomaly that happened 20 years ago, you know, but it it is an anomaly. If you, um, if you know, if you give thought to, you know, bad things all the time, you know, as, as you know, um, you know, arresting people is just a dirty, nasty business. It just is, it, 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 you know, 99 times out of a hundred, it'll, it'll go perfectly and it'll go just the way that it's supposed to. And you go, uh, hands, uh, do this, do that. And they comply and it all goes perfectly. Uh, and then, you know, that one time out of the hundred is, you know, what I affectionately call the one cuff rodeo. It, I don't know what, <laughs> 
I'm glad you enjoyed that. I haven't because heard it. I don't know what it time. is psychologically that when you get one cuff on a guy, suddenly, like it, like no matter how drunk they are, pissed off they are, uh, reasonable they are, you know, when the one cuff goes on, it all kind of solidifies in their brain that I'm going to jail. Right. And usually, in my experience anyway, that's when it goes bad. Is and, and unfortunately, you know, the way handcuffs are, unless it's the movies, uh, you can't get both cuffs on at once. And so the fight, in my experience, I've had two or three of them where, yeah, you, you get one cuff on and then it's on. Because then they realize, yeah, I, no matter what, I can't talk my way out of it. Uh, I'm going to jail, whatever they're envisioning. Uh, you know, you get one cuff on and then it's on. And uh, and so, um, for you know, for those times, um, it, it's good to have it's good to have um, an alternative, you know, for, for lots of reasons. But so let's loop it back around to the the armed citizen for a minute. Um, okay. I've seen you off work uh, at your birthday party, and I think you were carrying three guns that night. Uh, oh. And I was carrying one, and I felt I felt completely naked. Really, to be honest. I just felt, oh, it sounds like somebody's doing a one-cuff rodeo outside of your door there. I don't know what's going uh, on. Well, the thing is, is that um, I live uh, a half mile. No, actually, a quarter of a mile from a firehouse. And okay. I live a half mile from the um, main hospital in my city. So this is a common uh, sound where I'm at. Uh, but it, it's, you know... As I tell people, you know that you're in a in a in a weird, crappy. Oh, lost you again. Profession when we hear sirens and are down. <laughs> oh, I lost you for a minute. You know, when Hold we on hear just sirens, it means good things are coming. Right. Okay, I got your internet caught back up with the conversation there. Um, so, anywho, but for the armed citizen, like your birthday party, you know, you had a mm-hmm. a 1911, a wheel gun, and uh, a pocket gun. And I walked out with the G45 and we went and had dinner, you know, and, and I'm like, ah, man, I didn't really think of that. Like maybe I should have had a pocket gun and something else you do that I've kind of adopted recently is carrying a pocket. And you're blowing my cover, man. Oh yeah. Well, you know, but the, uh, something that I've adopted is carrying a uh, pocket gun in my off gun side, as opposed to my primary hand side. Um, and it, it's been a, uh, I won't say a learning curve, but it's been kind of a, like a handshake to some stuff that I hadn't really visited in some years. Uh, because on the police department, I always looked at a backup gun as a, uh Oh, my primary just quit. And if I was carrying a rifle, okay, well now my pistol is right. my backup. If I'm carrying a shotgun, Pistols, my backup. Um, and then that third layer was always, I got a gun on my ankle. I've got, you know, an LCP in my shirt pocket, something to that effect. And it, it did get some weird looks when I brought that one up, which it always does. But the, uh, but for the armed populace, I kind of look at it and go, is it a bad idea? No, it's yeah. not, but it, you have. You have some it's additional a legitimate co- concern, though, uh, th- th- but it can be addressed. 
but but you have some additional layers of if a cop is carrying two guns, does that offend the conscience of the public? Well, right. I, I think um, it's possible that it does. Uh, that most, um, y- 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 as you know, um, the the public's perception of what law enforcement officers do, just in general, regardless of firearms, is primarily influenced by movies. Right. So, um, and so, uh, I, I think that uh, there's a certain percentage of the population that w- that probably thinks that. Um, we all John Wick our way through life and, and, and have, uh, you know, backup guns, backup blades, et cetera. And then there's another, which is unrealistic. And then, um, there is another percentage of the population who would probably, yeah, it would offend their sensibilities. Right. And the reason that I think, uh, that B exists is I, I know that, that there are some jurisdictions um, that specifically do not allow a backup gun. And their concern is primarily, um, you know, the, the head of the agency is primarily concerned about, uh, you know, the concept of that. Uh, I, I don't think there's another term for it, but it, it, what, what is known as a drop gun, like you get into a bad shooting and the person isn't armed. So you plant a gun in his hand. And I'm sure that's been in some movies, too. Right. And so on and so on. And so there are jurisdictions that specifically say, no, you, you, you will not carry a backup gun um, because then, you, you know, someone could say that you plant, you know, you were carrying it to plant on somebody or something like that. And I understand that, too. However, um, you know, that that's that's something that is not difficult to overcome and it, it is easy to articulate. Um, you know, if it is a firearm that I purchased at, at um, you know, at, at a gun shop and, um, you know, if it ends up in, in any kind of a shooting, I mean, the ATF is going to have their answer on the inside in 15 minutes, on the outside in an hour. And a half. Right but they're going to have the answer real quick as to where this firearm went to which distributor to which supplier to which gun shop and who bought it and in the case that you don't um it's easy to do wherein if you work for a department you generally qualify with it so it's already on record that you've qualified with this and so it 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 can't be you know uh uh logically articulated that you are carrying it to put, you know, to put on somebody because it's already tied to you. Right. And for the, for the, for the armed populace that, you know, is a non-sworn position, uh, you know, they're, they're there to protect themselves and their family. I think that they can adopt the very same thing, which is, you know, you should call uh, every time I shoot a call, I put the pistol on the target and I, and I snap a picture of it and it's just my way of documenting the calls that I've shot. And, um, and that's easy to document and you can go, Hey, look, you know, here's a record of it. And, you know, uh, I know you have access to, you know, you can dump my phone, you can do this, you can do that. Yeah. Clearly this is a, um, a firearm that is tied to me and that, you know, I, I carry it the same reason why you officer, um, carry a spare tire in your vehicle. Right. There's, there are 
it kind of surprised me and we're, we're diving into the LE rabbit hole, but mm-hmm. uh, like the agency I work for every single gun you carry has, you have to have a qualification record with. Whereas yeah. I've known some people that worked in jurisdictions that you just have to be qualified with a handgun, a semi-auto, a revolver. It right. doesn't say which one. So, and it kind of, it's kind of a blanket thing. So, and on the armed populace side, there's none of that. You don't have to worry about that. Um, but, but um, you know, there, there are a few jurisdictions here in the United States that if you are carrying on some kind of state license, you have to specify um, like kind of like departments, which weapons you um, I can't remember which jurisdiction it was. Um, um, it was like you were allowed three firearms and they were all on this firearms card. Right. So this one, you could carry that one. You could carry more than what, whatever it was. Um, but um, th- they all were on record with the state. And then on Sunday when you were gone, Brian, um, and, and surprisingly, by the way, as a side note, I had a lot more students on Sunday than on Friday, which I'm very surprised about because I thought everybody would be, you know, heading out from the conference. So Saturday, uh, Sunday was, was, was fuller. And one of the students, uh, I shouldn't say students, one of the people that was very interested in the topic. Uh, and it was strange because I had, I had like three or four of them who said, Hey, look, I, I didn't bring such a gun, but I'm interested in the topic. Can I stay and watch? And I said, sure. And um, the state that she was from, uh, she explained that in their state, in their concealed handgun licensing rules, you can carry one firearm concealed. And huh. I never heard of that before. Yeah, I never uh, had either. And if you carried more than one, the other one had to be not concealed. And again, we learn new stuff every day. I love this country and and it's it has 50 states and we have 50 different ways of doing things. So periodically I, I learned something like that and it's very surprising. Yeah. But outside of those certain jurisdictions, um, generally, if you have the latitude to carry a firearm, you have the latitude to carry more than one generally. Yeah. That, uh, that was something that kind of surprised me in, in Oklahoma on the concealed carry. Like if you uh-huh. wanted to get a permit, so you have some reciprocity in other jurisdictions, you have a uh, revolver, derringer and semi-auto and i think they may have rectified that to where it's either revolver or semi-auto uh yeah but when you took your course if you took it with a revolver that's all you could ever concealed carry legally yeah. right nowadays and what's funny is the inst- but if you took it with a semi-auto you were covered yeah. for all of them so yes one of the things that a lot of the concealed carry instructors very early on did was they, they would have a couple of, you know, rimfire 22 semi-autos and they would go, you can go through the course with whatever you want, but you are going to shoot 50 rounds through this semi-auto so yeah. that it doesn't, you don't never have to worry about that again. Yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, it te- by the way, Texas, what, what was exactly the same, mm-hmm. uh, it has changed now. Uh, Texas had, they went backwards. Uh, they, they said, uh, se- <laughs> they said revolver, 
no, no, they said semi-auto or non-semi-auto. So they didn't say the word revolver. They just said non-semi-auto. We, we had Derringer on ours for years, um, which, you know, is, I think was actually a brand, but is now kind of commonly referred to as a yeah. two-shot yeah. pistol. We also but, had a minimum caliber, which has since gone away. Yeah, that's gone away for us. We do yeah. have a maximum caliber, though. You can't really? carry anything 50 caliber. Well, okay. So I was like, <laughs> damn. Right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and, and I actually, I used to help teach some uh, fundraiser courses for, you know, an organization that would uh, put on a concealed carry class and they would, uh, it, the money used to support some organization. So we uh-huh. usually had a volunteer instructor. And I would assist with these classes uh, as a, you know, state licensed firearms instructor. And we actually had a guy say, well, if I go to the range with my Desert Eagle 50, 50 Action Express and I'm leaving and I get attacked. And I just looked at him and I was like, dude, you're going to prison. Just leave it at that. Don't do that. Just load your <laughs> 1911 and call it a day. And he's like, well, I'm just saying if that happened and I'm like, Oh, but well, with that size of a handgun, I, I, I think that, you know, assuming he was within three feet, he had a much more effective bludgeon, <laughs> but, uh, but back to backup guns, uh, before we toddle off down the, the action express rabbit hole, I, you know, uh, for the armed populace, the armed citizen, the only you know, aside from the legalities of it, right? Uh-huh. The legalities are always the governing decision maker, right? Because who wants to survive and then worry about going to prison for some, you know, menial statute that 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 has no bearing yeah. on the outcome of the uh, the incident? But for me, it is okay as a a law enforcement officer, I have a retention holster for my primary gun. And then my backup gun is an ankle rig, a pocket holster, uh, a breast pocket, whatever. So for me, it was more about, okay, I can secure the primary gun or if it's completely disabled, it's useless. So I can let it go on the armed populace side. I kind of look at it as, Hey, if your primary, if you get shot through the hand with your primary gun, and it locks your primary gun up good to have a backup plan reference your state laws you know get the concealedcarry.com's guide to carrying in 50 states or whatever that is and study it based on where you're going but if i have the option to carry a backup gun it's not a bad idea but there are just a few more considerations you've got to make um you know keeping that thing secure now you have not one but two um so there you know there's just more considerations you need to make and training of course training is always a uh you and i are both big proponents of train with what you got right um yeah and there are not a lot of indoor gun ranges that you're going to go practice at that are going to let you draw from an ankle rig there are not a lot of open enrollment classes these days that are going to go, okay, draw from an ankle rig. Yeah. It's kind of shocking to, for people to hear that, but 
you know, yourself, Chuck Haggard, bulky, few other guys I know that do ankle gun specific classes and the logistical aspect yeah. of implementing that is very challenging. So it's a very niche type of, uh, training scenario. Uh, you know, I had the luxury of my police range. If there was nobody else on it, I could do yeah. whatever I wanted except point a gun past the one eighty. So yeah. if I wanted to duck down and grab an ankle rig, get after it. Um, not a lot of even outdoor ranges now will condone that type of, you know, niche behavior, but, uh, it, the other, the other aspect of that is like the carry setup. I mean, I know of like a lot of good pocket holsters, ankle yeah. holsters. I know of like two that are still made. They're still good. And there's a chance yeah. they may not make it for your favorite pet firearm. Yeah. So there's just some additional layers there that you have to kind of sift through. Um, and uh, you know, my favorite, I I've got an ankle rig that didn't make it to TACCON. Sorry about that, Hanny. Um, you know, I wasn't going to say it, but Hey, I'll dime myself out. I was going to show all of my backup gun goodies and they all were in another bag, uh, laying on miss Trish's nightstand because I put them there so that I wouldn't forget them. And I forgot them, but I did have a range rod. So I feel like I redeemed myself. You a did, bit. you did, you did save that issue. And, uh, uh you know, I, it, because I, you know, I thought that you were going to have an ankle rig. Um, uh, you know, I was carrying, um, two on my waistband and one in my pocket to demo, you know, the, that, that side of it. And, um, but, but, you know, on Sunday we had, uh, two, two people, uh, using ankle rigs. So it, it, you know, well, let's talk about ankle rigs for a minute and then we'll kind of round this out. And I will tell, I'll be the first to admit I carried an ankle rig for about 14 years and I carried a three, what is it? Uh, uh, it was a scandium titanium 357 mag that looks like a 642 or a three or a. 442 it was like the 342 pd uh yeah yeah the there was like the 342 there's the 360 there was the 360 because it okay. was a 357 mag uh and i always i carried it with 38s i carried i tried to carry it with 357s and it was just noise and agony um but i carried that on my <laughs> ankle and i started noticing i was having hip problems and knee problems on my left side mm-hmm huh like the fbi calls that a clue right like i'm told even with that little of weight on my left side i still it was throwing my gait of walking off enough that i was constantly in the chiropractor's office so nowadays i reserve the ankle rig for okay i'm going to be seated for hours on end whether right. you know in some type of environment that maybe carrying a firearm is not kosher, but it's legal. It's not cool, but it's okay. But it's, I'm covered under the the law. And generally when I do that, I have a pocket holster in my pocket for the J frame to go in. If I get the opportunity to, you know, I have to walk around a bunch in the midst of the, and this would be like a seminar type thing. I'm going to a seminar. I'm in clothes that are semi-dressy. And I've got options. So I wear the ankle rig to not offend anybody's sensibilities. And then when we go to lunch, it goes, it goes off the ankle and into the pocket. Um, 
So I kind of reserve the ankle rig when I'm off work for very minimal movement, right? I'm driving a lot. I'm doing this a lot. I'm doing that a lot. The pocket holster kind of covers a lot of bases for me. And, you know, I, I love the mica pocket holster. I tried the Don Hume. Um, I, I bestowed it upon you for your birthday. Yeah, because it didn't work for you yet. My Don Hume was worn out. <laughs> and you got a brand new one that had exactly and two and a half hours. Of, and that, that's the one I'm currently carrying. Yeah, it had two hours on it at the time you got it. Because I was like, <laughs> ah, this ain't working. Um, but I, I'll carry a pocket holster empty with an ankle rig on. Um, and then on some days, if it's, you know, if I get that, I don't know, Hey, things could get dicey. Maybe, you know, I'll carry my appendix rig with an ankle rig or my appendix rig with a, a left side pocket rig. Uh-huh. It just, it, it's situationally the, the, dependent, but ankle rigs, I got to tell you, there is only one made anymore that I really feel like is viable and I'm going to throw them a plug even though, yeah. um, you know, they don't pay me. They don't sponsor me. Yeah. Uh, just good people. And that's wilderness. Uh, they yeah. make one called the renegade. Yeah. The, the renegade which back is, in the day, kind of like a renewed, updated, improved version of a holster that I believe used to be called the, um, it was the renegade <laughs> renegade. Yeah. That's it, sir. Yeah. And they, they got the name and all. And it's better than the old ones were. And I wore mm-hmm. one for years uh, in patrol. And I wore a Galco that's no longer made anymore, mm-hmm. uh, which it, it was all right for what I did. But the Renegade is the way. And uh, even it is a challenge to carry yeah, based on clothing and situation. Right. And um, um and I'll plug them too, even though I don't have one. Uh, um, I, you know, I know about yours and I, I know about it from other people that carry it. Um, there are other choices. Uh, there are uh, some leather choices, um, uh, but it's kind of secondhand knowledge to me. So for, the, for years and years and years, uh, the, the late great Lou Alessi, of yeah. Alessi holsters. He made a, 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 a spectacular rig. Now, uh, I, I don't, you know, after, after Mr. Alessi passed, um, other, other people are, are still operating under that name. And then there is a gentleman by the name of Richie who, uh, has a leather company. And I have one of his, um, I have one of his uh, belt holsters, but I'm told that he is still making the Alessi pattern, um, uh, leather holster that is very, very solid. And then finally, um, you know, a, a, a grand gentleman in, in, in our field who's been at it for decades and decades, which is Thad Ripka. Uh, I believe he still makes a, a very good uh, leather one, but he, you know, he's a gentleman that you uh, not only, you know, can't order online, you literally have to send him a letter to order. So uh, if someone were to, and, and so I pass those along just, you know, cause that's the way my brain works. But if someone said, Hey, I needed an ankle rig. Yeah. I'd tell them to get the wilderness one. Yeah. And they're, they're such a niche item. Now, when I, when I got into police work, they were in every police supply store. Yeah. Uh, some form of it was, I carried an Alessi for a while. I carried a, a, a Galco. I carried 
the original Renegade, which I think was yeah. made by a company called Eagle or something. And um, yeah, I carried several different different forms, and the Renegade was always the best. And when Sam and I'll I'll, I'll throw a shout out if she ever listens to the podcast, Sam, um, I got one at at the Revolver Roundup, and I was like, this is like the holster I know and love, just better. So good stuff. Um, yeah, I've been using Wilderness products um, like. I don't know, probably for 15 years back in the days when not all ARs had a collapsible buttstock. Say it ain't so. Uh, yes. They made just the best sling for a, um, um, for a fixed stock AR. And I still run one fixed stock AR uh, in 50 Beowulf. And sure enough, it has a wilderness sling on it. Hey, don't carry that in Oklahoma. If you're concealed carrying it, it's 50 cal. Yeah, well, if I could still carry that thing, um, you know, it would be it would be a tr- it, it would be a neat trick. But um, but yeah, that that's a company that you know has a has uh, some people behind it that are very experienced in the field, and they likely don't need advertising from us. But the category of credit where credit is due, uh, they they make some good stuff. Yep, and uh, so for a backup gun for. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things you've kind of got to find somebody that does it. And you're one, yeah. Chuck Haggard's one, Bulky's one. Uh, I don't put any formalized curriculum together for it. I've considered yeah. it. Uh, but, you know, I always carried some, I carried revolvers on the ankle. And when I went to chest pocket carry, I ran, oh. I ran pocket holsters with uh, Ruger LCPs in them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes two. So, you know, a left hand breast pocket and a right hand breast pocket, I bit, but we don't judge. Yeah. But those days for me have come and gone. And that was at a time that, you know, when we talk about reasons for carrying a backup gun, I was in a very rural part, Oklahoma city, 642 square miles. So if you're in the 642nd square mile of it and stuff goes down, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> your backup is, you know, a rural agency somewhere near you, but they got to get to you too. Right. So uh, in those, yeah. in those days when I was working in a, you know, a fairly rural area with not a lot of backup real close, um, you know, in some of the areas that were kind of high crime for what they were, uh, there were times I had several guns on my person and it was for no other reason than this, this, I could, be out here for a long time with no help. So, um, you know, the, the, you know, uh, the, you know, those people that know me and those that don't know me, you know, I, 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 I now when, when I actually put on a uniform and go out and, 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 and do, you know, honest work as I call it, um, it is for a very rural agency. And, uh, yeah, when I, I, when I'm doing that, I, 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 how about this? I dress accordingly. According to what you may encounter. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, according to what I, I know that I'm comfortable with and that I'm hardwired to grab, um, you know, the, the thing about having a, um, a backup gun 
uh, is something. And, and believe, you know, you, you were very nice to say, you know, uh, no, no, no spoiler alerts early on. But the fact is, there are no spoilers in this. This this is all stuff that I learned from other people. Um, so uh, I always try to give credit where credit is due and not, uh, you know, I didn't make any of this up. And so um, the reason I bring that up is for me, there is always um, a backup in left front pocket. And it has been there for 23 and a half years now on duty, off duty, whatever. Now, let's say I am taking uh, my trash out to the curb. There's still something in my left front pocket. So if, if the, my main hand, you know, goes to wherever it thinks it should go and there's nothing there or whatever, my left hand only has one place to go. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty much hardwired. And um, y- years and years ago, um, a good instructor that I had, uh, you know, told me a story about, uh, since this is all second and third hand, I just don't want to use names. That's all. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you relate a story about somebody that we, you know, all know about and he's gone now and uh, w- was in many shootings and was a, a really a first year firearms instructor. And he got into a shooting uh, um, walking to get coffee and food from a stakeout. And so what he did was he moved his backup gun in the winter to his coat pocket and and. Sure enough, something happened on his way to just go get food and coffee so they could go back to their stakeout. And something happened and he emptied his revolver. And sure enough, he reached into the spot where he carried his backup gun like five different times before he realized, oh, no, I moved it. Yeah. And so for me, I always use the one spot. And and I'm not saying that that area, uh, you know, left front pocket in a pocket holster is superior to everything else. I'm just saying that that's what worked for me in the most situations, whether I'm wearing pants or shorts. And fortunately, and and there's other considerations. Uh, If you're in law enforcement, it's, you know, the the pants that they require you to wear uh, might not allow for pocket carries, you know, uh, just the way they're cut and how tight they are or the angle. Um, and uh, if you're not in a law enforcement situation, it's how you choose to dress. And for me, how I choose to dress in my in my own time is uh, that left front pocket is always either it needs to be two things. It needs to be deep enough so that the revolver can sit comfortably and securely and also that uh, the way the pockets are cut, I can easily reach in there. And, and, and fortunately I have that ability or choice. And so I, I, I dress for it and it doesn't take much. You, you, there's a lot of variety out there and you can make sure that your, your clothing accommodates it. And that way I'm wired to reach to one spot because, you know, as you know, I'm not that bright. So that <laughs> way, uh, you know, I don't have to, most people don't realize it, but under stress, you will do what you think you need to do like 10 times in a row before you realize, okay, no, wait, no, that's not the actual answer right now. 
exactly know, under, under stress and adrenaline. So I, I, I just go ahead and make sure that that, that option is always valid. Uh, and before I leave this topic, I, I have to say, if you do that, there's two things. Number one is use a pocket holster. Don't just throw it in a pocket because I guarantee you within 15 minutes, uh, that firearm will be pointed upside down and backwards and whatever in your pocket. If you don't use a pocket holster, it will move around. It will, it, it will not be the way that you expect it to be when your hand reaches your pocket and for safety. Number two, nothing ever goes in that pocket other than that. So even when there's nothing in my left front pocket, like, Oh, I don't know. I'm swimming or I'm on fire or something. Um, I don't put anything else there. I don't put my phone there. I don't put keys there. And I don't put change there. I don't put money there. You know, there's either something there or it's empty and it's rarely empty, but sometimes it happens, but th th there's nothing that can get in the way of the trigger guard. And the other purpose of the, um, um, pocket holster is not just the safety of, uh, nothing can get in the trigger guard. It's also that a pocket holster kind of ensures that the revolver, in my case, a revolver, it could be an auto, stays in the exact same position and the exact same orientation when I reach for it. Exactly. And I think and because we've done this so many times, you covered my final thoughts. Ah. So that was Henny McMood back for the art of the backup gun. Hopefully you guys took away some uh, good information as it pertains to carrying a secondary gun, backup gun. Um, this is food for thought. I think we did a pretty good, pretty fair job of uh, tying that to the civilian carrier. As a reminder, check out today's sponsor. Title sponsor of the podcast is Excess Sites. EDC Belt Co., and CCW Safe Off Duty 10 gets you 10% off your membership. Sign up for the Concealed Carry Giveaway. Last week's winner, Palm Pepper Spray. You know the deal. Sign up weekly. Links are always in the show notes. Uh, let's see. What do we got on the horizon? Tons of stuff, right? We got Guardian coming up in September. The Guardian Conference. Early bird pricing is still open the last time I checked. So... If you want to come and train with me, uh, sign up for my class at the Guardian Conference. It's awesome. Great. We will uh, embrace you with open arms. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.